our great prophet, priest, and king, we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would plant your own truth in our hearts by your mercy and your grace. Amen. Good morning. I sure hope you all had just a wonderful Black Friday, I mean, um, Thanksgiving, and uh, just full of good things for you. Um, it's the holidays, right? We're, we're in the holiday season. We have this beautiful holiday uh, Thanksgiving decoration up. And what this means is that five weeks from today is New Year's Eve. That is almost as scary as the fact that four weeks from today is Christmas Eve. Five weeks from today is New Year's Eve. And the funny thing about uh, the last day of the year is, to me anyway, in the way that we approach it. Because there is very little in the way of reflection on the previous year. New Year's Eve is spent almost entirely in anticipation of the coming new year. It's not called last day of the year or, you know, day of reflection, something like that. It's, uh, there, there are 364 days behind us but we are focused on the 365 days ahead of us, or in this year's case, 366. I just point this out because uh, today is the last culminating Sunday in the church calendar. This is the Sunday known as Christ the King. And uh, it's sort of like the church's New Year's Eve. Uh, and it, it's at least similar in direction to uh, regular New Year's Eve, because it does not look back. We're not looking over, summarizing the stories we've told about Jesus over the last year. Christ the King looks forward to the second coming of Christ. And we say it every week in the Nicene Creed, He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We'll say it in the Eucharist. Uh, Christ will come again. This is our great hope that gets us through our most difficult days. Jesus will come again and set all wrongs to rights. And yet, in my experience, we don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about Jesus' coming again because we don't really know what to think of it, right? It's a lot easier to think about Jesus coming as a little baby because we know what a baby is like. But in our gospel passage today, Jesus tells us a little of what it's going to be like when he comes again. Now, this is a very famous passage. You know, as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. It's, in, it's a passage that can be inspiring, right? can motivate us uh, to do like our youth group is going to do this afternoon, weather permitting, uh, and go and serve the poor. But it's also a passage... That can be problematic. Because, you know, we get up here every week and we proclaim to you about the wonders of God's grace. And we say that we are saved from our sins by God's grace and not by our good works. Here comes Jesus in this passage saying that when the Son of Man comes, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. And it looks for all the world like the way he's going to know the difference between the sheep and the goats is that the sheep did good works. I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was in prison and you visited me. 
So the thing we might want to know this morning is, which is it? And I'm going to tell you right now, up front, it's grace. It's grace. So have I just contradicted Jesus? I don't think so. Let's take a closer look at the passage. There are a few things you, uh, to take note of, and we might call it divine glory, division, and difference. Divine glory, division, and difference. The first thing we want to see is the divine glory. This is the day of Jesus' return when the Son of Man, that's a title he uses for himself often, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. This is a glorious day and we can be so concerned with uh, making sure we're sheep and not goats that we miss the glory of this scene. This is the consummation of salvation history, the day that we pray is going to come, the end of suffering, the end of hurt and broken relationships, the end of hunger, and sickness and death, and the beginning of life everlasting for those who are ushered to the right. Jesus is describing the scene of his return. The Prince of Peace returns as the King of Glory. And Jesus takes his place on his glorious throne and there are angels all around these massive, muscular messengers of light with wings that you could not take your eyes off of if it weren't for the king who's sitting on the throne. This is a far cry from the humble manger the first time he came. And he is a far cry from the fragile newborn. This is majesty, authority, strength, supreme, divine glory. All of which, I feel sure, is impossible for us to imagine sufficiently. And that's okay. But all humanity, so you get this incredible scene, and then all of humanity is gathered before him, all nations in the throne room of God. I've got no idea how that's possible. Right? But it's everyone from every nation, from every generation. No one gets left out. You and I are there. Our children and our grandchildren, our parents and our grandparents. Like we're all there. It's billions. Jesus is the ultimate gravitational force in the universe. Everyone is drawn to him in the throne room of God, beholding the return of the king. So don't rush ahead and miss it in this passage. This is a glorious scene, a scene of extraordinary praise and glory for Christ the king. That's the first thing. The second thing to notice, of course, is the division when Jesus does come, he's not coming as a unifier. We like to think of Jesus as a unifier, but that's not how he's going to come back. He's coming as a judge. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. This is going to be his first kingly act. And he's going to be like a shepherd. It's not a parable, it's a simile, right? So like a shepherd, he's going to divide out the sheep and the goats. 
Now, I am told, I read, I guess, that, that Middle Eastern sheep are not like the cute, fluffy, white, Scottish sheep that we typically think of. In a, it's a much hotter environment. Their coat is much thinner. Uh, and they're more often brown or black. So it's not like, you know, I'll separate the cute from the ugly. Right? And the sheep and the goats look an awful lot alike. And they're all mixed up. And so the shepherd has to divide them. This is judgment. And we kind of sometimes get a little squirrely when, when we think about the judgment of God. We bristle because we like God as love. Like that, we like God as love. But God as judge makes us a little nervous. And so it is, I think, such a gift to us that Jesus says he's going to be like a shepherd. Because he could have picked, you know, any of the other images from other parables. He could have said he was like a farmer separating the wheat from the, the weeds. Or like a fisherman separating the fat good fish from the scrawny bad fish. But just as Jesus is describing uh, his role as the ultimate judge, he uses one of the tenderest images of himself. He is our good shepherd. He knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. They hear his voice, and they follow him. He lays down his life for his sheep. He's the good shepherd, and any act of shepherding that he does is right in the context of his goodness, even if he's acting as the apocalyptic judge. So that's the second thing, the division and the third thing we need to notice is how does he tell the difference? How does he tell the difference as, he, as he's dividing them up? And maybe more to the point, how can we make sure that we're sheep? And it'd be easy to say, wouldn't it, that he just looks at how they took care of the down and out. The hungry, the naked, the imprisoned, and so on. And the sheep took care of them and the, the goats didn't. That'd be easy because then we could control that. It's not quite right. Because Jesus says, as you did it to them, you did it to me. And that seems to be uh, the catalyst for his decision making. And, and there seems to be some sense in which the sheep treated Jesus well and the goats ignored him. So is the difference how they treated Jesus? Yeah. But, like it's not just that the sheep went to church and the goats didn't go to church. We, we cannot ignore the fact that both groups were, in fact, caught off guard when Jesus identifies himself as the hungry, the thirsty, and the naked. This was Jesus incognito, right? Both groups seem shocked at the suggestion that they ever saw Jesus as sick or a prisoner or as a stranger in need of welcome. And we're not told how the righteous react to this revelation. We can assume that they're happy with the verdict. But the implication for the unrighteous is that if they had known, if they'd just known it was Jesus, they would have helped. And now we're getting a little nearer to the heart of the matter. The righteous helped because help was needed. And the unrighteous would have helped 
if it had appeared advantageous to them. It seems that the sheep love their neighbor and the goats love themselves. Let me just stop right here and say one thing. If it were not for God's grace, we're all goats. We're all goats. If it weren't for Jesus' death and resurrection, if it were not for God granting us forgiveness and reconciliation through Jesus, if it were not for the Holy Spirit invading our hearts, no one gets shepherded to the right. So I think that the question that this passage forces upon us is what have we done with the love and the grace that God has given to us? been freely given to us what have we done have we received it such that it has changed us such that we love what god loves we love who god loves we love our neighbors ourselves. or is god's grace just another tool that we can use to our advantage a way to sort of employ god's forgiveness so that we can mostly just do what we want Are we converts or consumers of God's grace? So there's a story that I've told a few times before, I think. I I believe it is originally from the great Charles Spurgeon. Once upon a time, there was a king. He ruled over everything in the land. And in the land, there was this gardener, and he grew this enormous carrot. And so he pulls the carrot out of the ground and he like cleans it off, polishes it up, takes it to the king and he comes before the king and says, my lord, this is the greatest, most exquisite carrot that I've ever grown and you have done so much for us and for me and I just want to give it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. And he lays it before the throne of the king and turns to walk away and the king is touched and he discerns the man's heart and he says, wait, wait, wait. You know, I actually, I own the, the much larger property right next to your little garden. And I would, you're such a good steward of the earth. I want you to take this property. I want you to garden. I want you to produce and, and use your gifts uh, in that place. And he's just overwhelmed and so grateful. And he goes and, and he takes his new farm and begins uh, to farm it. But, but there's, in the throne room at the same time, there's this nobleman who overhears all of this, and he thinks, my goodness, if that's what you get for a carrot, what would you get for something better? And so the next day he comes in, he's carrying this magnificent black stallion. Not carrying it, but you know, leading this, this magnificent stallion. And he's, he says, my, he bows low before the king, my lord and my king, this I, I breed horses, and this is the most magnificent uh, horse that I have ever Uh, ever bred and I want you to have it as a token of my love and respect for you and the king discerns his heart and says thank you so much and dismisses the man the guy looks perplexed and kind of looks around starts to go and the king says hold on let me explain the gardener yesterday was giving me the carrot you were giving yourself the horse you were giving yourself the horse so what's the difference The carrot farmer loved the king and worked for the king. The horse breeder loved himself and tried to get the king to work for him. 
And this gospel passage is a great mercy to us. Because the day of the Lord's return will surely catch us off guard, off guard, but the judgment of His return will not. And this passage calls us to look honestly and courageously at our own hearts. We have all been freely and joyfully offered God's grace, offered the forgiveness of our sins, offered reconciliation with the Father, life everlasting, the hope of heaven. The gift from the glorious King of heaven is on the table. The question is, have we taken it? And as we look honestly at our own hearts, here's how we know. Has His grace changed us? Not that we get it perfect all the time. Not that we're not still being changed. We're a work in progress, of course. But is it somehow our desire to love God and to love our neighbor? And if the answer is yes, rejoice. You're a sheep. And the more that you focus on His grace for you, His love for you, the sheepier you're going to get. But... If you look honestly, and you're, I mean, you're really not sure that grace has changed you. And if you kind of resonate more with the horse breeder, and grace is sort of a tool that you keep in your back pocket if you need it, and God kind of works for you more than you work for Him, don't despair. Today is your day. Confess it. Repent. Ask Him sincerely to change you. Thank Him for His grace and His love and ask Him to help you love what He loves and to do what He does. And then come to the altar. And come in full confidence that you are no longer a goat. You are a sheep with heaven on the horizon. Receive Him once again in faith. There's going to be people to pray with you uh, during communion. Clergy, any of the clergy would love to pray with you after the service. Today is your day. So Lord, Christ the King, hasten the day of the coming of your kingdom, and may we all, by your grace, hear those blessed words on that day. Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Amen.